You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Today, we've finally reached the end of our sermon series, Colossians Completing Christ. It's been a long time coming. Uh, In fact, we started it back in September, making this message number 20 in the series. So uh, obviously then we've been spending a lot of time in the book, and uh, for good reason. It's, it's chock full of, of in, incredible words of wisdom, encouragement, correction, and beauty concerning who Jesus is and who we're called and created to be as his disciples and image bearers in the world. Ultimately, we've been learning that Jesus is is supreme and is sufficient for us. We are complete in him. And uh, on that end, one of the other main themes that continually comes up in Colossians, seven specific times, in fact, is that of giving thanks, to consistently come before the Lord in prayer and worship with an attitude of thanksgiving, regardless of what's happening in our lives or our circumstances, but to come before him with thanksgiving for who he is, for what he's done. And, and to that end, I can say that I'm incredibly thankful for this letter to the Colossians and that we've had the opportunity to, to take our time going through it, learning and gleaning and growing from it. For me personally, this series has, has stirred up within my heart a deeper love for Jesus and also for the church, for all of you. Specifically speaking, It served to increase my prayerful desire to see us, as Paul did for the believers in Colossae, to continue to mature in Christ, to to become a people who are, as as it says in chapter 1, in verse 9 to 12, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And, and then as we grow in Christ, who is the fullness of God given to us, that would cause us to then, as it says in chapter 3, Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So those passages, which we spent a a lot of time on, are such a beautiful and yet convicting reminder for us concerning who we're called to be in Christ and what we're supposed to look like and how we're supposed to function as the church called in one body 
called in one body, teaching each other, worshiping together, admonishing one another in wisdom, serving one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, giving thanks to God with and for one another, proclaiming the word and the gospel to and with one another, and, and, and more. Throughout Colossians, then, we're reminded that Christianity isn't a one-man show. It's not just about Paul. It's not just about the, the one leader in the church in, in Colossae. No, it's, it's not a one-man show. It takes a village, as they say, right? It takes a village. And, and furthermore, we're all significant and equal members of this village. As uh, David Garland writes, a theologian, he says, we should never lose sight that God has called us to serve him and has called us to serve with others. We need each other's prayers and support. We need each other. In a culture of individualism and autonomy, sometimes it's hard to admit this, but it's good. We need each other. To be effective and fruitfully living out this glorious and spirit-filled life for Christ, we need each other. And, and this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, highlights and exemplifies to the church in, in Colossae as he finishes up his letter to them with his closing remarks. So this is where we're going to be reading today from Colossians 4, 7 to 18. And I warn you, there's a lot of names in here, and I'll probably pronounce every single one of them wrong, even though I looked up how to pronounce them. Forgive me. Colossians 4, 7 to 18. This is Paul. His closing remarks to the Colossians. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Eustace, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so as many of you are already aware, it's been it was announced earlier, tonight is our church's AGM, our annual general meeting. Boring, am I right? <laughs> Though 
for those of you who like talking about budgets and policies, then this is right up your alley. You're probably really excited for tonight. For those of you who don't really like those things, well, there's going to be snacks to cheer you up. So, and if you're a member, well, you've committed to come anyway, so let your yes be yes. But, <laughs> seriously though, Jesus said that, I'm just the messenger here. But seriously though, um, as fun as it is talking about our budget, the truth is that the budget actually paints somewhat of a dynamic and, and gratifying picture of our church community in a way. For example, on, on one end of the budget, the numbers inform us that so many of you have been incredibly faithful in, 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 in generosity. We wouldn't be able to meet like this in, in this building or even support one another or, or other amazing nonprofits and missions ministries without your generosity in worship through tithes and, and offerings and fundraisers like the one last week. And of course, the fact that we have a somewhat balanced budget to present to you tonight and that the, the church is still functioning at all in that end reminds us of how much Pastor Blair does on the administrative side of things and, and also how diligently and how hard the members of the board, along with Andrea's financial expertise helping us out as well, of course, how, how hard the board has worked over the last year to, to solve issues and make financial decisions with wisdom and with the will of God as their top priority. Similarly, the, the specific budget lines which tell, uh, tell us what we've spent on stuff like build, building improvement and maintenance. It sounds so boring, but, but it actually highlights the wonderful job of our custodian, Chantel, that she does. And, and, and it brings to mind the efforts of other volunteers like Henry and Sam and those of you who are on the newly formed chair cleaning crew and, and, and also many others who've willingly and joyfully shown up at the church over the last year to help with cleaning or, or decorations and repairs. And from what I've witnessed, every time these people, these volunteers have, have come and, and done these, these things without needing to be mentioned or, or praised, they do it because they love Jesus and this community. And speaking of volunteers, another thing that the budget shows us is that we unfortunately don't have a ton of income to put into programs like youth group or kids gate or young adults or community groups and men's and women's groups or worship and prayer ministries and those types of things. Of course, those things are important to us and the people that are in them are important to us. So we budget what we're able to budget, but it's not a ton. So what I'm saying is we can't just go out and hire a, a trained professional to run these programs or ministries. No, for the most part, with oversight from that pastoral team, these ministries are largely run and put together by faithful volunteers who humbly and joyfully give up their time and resources and homes to serve and disciple others with, with the word and with their gifts which is a wonderful exam example of our mandate from Colossians to, to serve and love and teach the word to one another out of what we've been given. You know, off the top of my head, I can think of, of uh, Lois and, and Janine and, and Chris Lynn and Charlene and Melissa who serve the children downstairs for more years than I can remember. We need some more guys down there too, by the way. Um, 
along with the youth and young adults that, that assist them and go down there and, and assist them. It's wonderful. It's awesome to see each generation involved in, in discipling and serving. And of course, I'm sure Sarah is doing an amazing job down there right now as we speak. I also, and with Josh as well, I, I also can't forget to mention the youth leaders who showed up week in and week out last year to invest in the youth. Jubilee, Mansi, Robbie, Rachel, and Brad. And then there's Matt and Josie Drew, who host and cook for the monthly men's breakfast. That is Matt hosts and Josie cooks, thankfully. No offense, Matt. <laughs> but it's awesome, though, like, that they're willing to give up their time and, and open their home. And, and the host team, led by Catherine, along with the, the worship, sound, and graphics team members who, who show up early each and every Sunday with servants' hearts, ready to use their time and gifts to build up the church. That's significant. And of course, the, the budget also shows us how much we spend on women's ministry, which, which reminded me that this last year, I was able to witness firsthand my wife, Audrey, who, by the way, has a demanding full-time job and is a mother of two. I got to witness her not only serve faithfully almost every Sunday morning in the church doing various things like Kids Gate and Host Team, but also spend hours upon hours each week for months reading and preparing to lead that women's Bible study that she led last year. Like she, she, she'd be praying, organizing, studying, seeking, seeking out secondary sources for more insight and more. And not, not because she has to, because she's the pastor's wife, which, by the way, is, a, is an unhealthy ideology that needs to die a quick death in North American evangelicalism. She doesn't work here. <laughs> FYI, yeah. <laughs> so again, not because she has to or is expected to, but because she cares for and loves the women at the gate enough to invest in their spiritual growth. That's awesome. And furthermore, our budget reminds us of how wonderful it was to witness our missions team, led by Brad, go, go and serve in Poland last year, and how amazing and generous God's people were in supporting it financially and, and prayerfully. And, and finally, the budget also highlights our leadership and pastoral team here at the gate. And I can say from the bottom of my heart that I am incredibly thankful for our team of elders and their spouses, along with Pastor Blair and Pastor Brad, with the, the support of their spouses as well, who've served in ministry here at the gate in various capacities, whether in full-time or part-time or through volunteering depending on the season or the, the stage they were in, and of course, doing it for well over a decade, which is incredible. You'd be hard-pressed to find any leadership team anywhere who served so faithfully for that long. So what I'm saying is, don't miss the AGM tonight. <laughs> while, while the budget seems like a bunch of boring numbers, it really isn't. It actually paints an incredibly dynamic picture of how generous and, faith <laughs> and faithful and Christ-like this, this local church body is. When I wrote this, I wasn't emotional. <laughs> Just how we all significantly play a part and how awesome it is to be part of it. Not that we're perfect. Not that we're... we're, we're the best 
church ever or anything like that, although I think we are, but not that we're perfect, which is the point, but, but, but that we're continually pursuing the goal of maturity in Christ and supporting one another in it. And to that end, I know that I didn't or, or I wasn't able to mention everything and everyone, and if I did, we'd be here for hours, which is, but that's how awesome our community is. But ultimately, though, it reminds us that, that God is building his church through us, and we should give him all the glory and thanksgiving for it. That's, that's paramount. But again, it also reminds us that we need each other. Without one another, this doesn't happen. This is precisely what the Apostle Paul is exemplifying and highlighting in his closing remarks to the letter to the Colossians. For a quick summary of what we, we read, we read that Paul informs that, that he sent some fellow workers of the gospel their way to deliver his letters that he's written them, but also to minister to them and to be, to be an encouragement to them on Paul's behalf. He also mentioned that he himself, as he mentions that he himself has been blessed by the ministry and encouragement of other godly men, both Jew and Gentile, who also send their greetings, specifically Epiphras, who probably planted their church community in Colossae, and, and even though he's away from them, for whatever reason, he's still faithfully battling for them in prayer so that they can stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And then Paul also sends greetings from godly missionaries like Mark and Luke. Those are familiar names, right? Most likely the very same men who wrote the Gospels, Mark and Luke. And he names others whom, whom we don't know much about, like, like Demas and Eustace, who changed his name because he didn't want to have the same name as Jesus. Fair enough. But uh, obviously they, they were individuals who, who they cared for and who cared for them. And then Paul asks them asks them to send his greetings and read his letter to another church in the neighboring city of Laodicea, specifically highlighting Nympha, a godly woman who hosts their church gatherings in her house. She opens her house. And then last but not least, he also specifically encourages Archippus, saying, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So we don't know who he is, really, or, or what his ministry or what his calling in ministry was, but either way, Paul's exemplifying for us the way that we should work to encourage and draw out gifts and callings in, in ourselves and in others within the church. All in all, we can see quite clearly the same thing that Paul seems to, which is that ministry, again, is not a one-man show. It takes a village. It takes community. It takes cooperation. It takes networking among believers. It takes servants' hearts. It takes people of diverse and various roles and, and stations and ages. It, it takes generosity and encouragement and discipleship and laying down our lives for others. It takes commitment, and it takes collaboration with other churches as well. Ministry is not a one-man show. We all play a part. We all play a significant part. As Scott Pace and Daniel Aiken write, because of Christ's work on the cross, the superficial distinctions that divide us have been demolished, and we have been established as one family and one spiritual army in Christ. These realities and the people mentioned in these verses are the perfect expression of the body of Christ that Paul has repeatedly referenced throughout his letter. As the church, Christ is our head, and we are his body. 
And as members of the body of Christ, we are united to him, nourished and held together by the supporting ligaments and tendons of one another. As Paul's partners, with all of their diversity, were demonstrating, we are called to operate and support one another as one body. We are called to operate and support one another as one body. It takes a village. This is precisely what the ecclesia or, or ecclesia, however you want to pronounce it, or the church is, a community of believers working together for the, for the same purpose. Of course, we can't ignore the fact that Paul ends his letter in his own writing with a simple but powerful blessing when he says, grace be with you. And it's like, sometimes we like sign off our emails like, God bless or whatever, right? Um, and so we just kind of think that's what he's doing here. But no, this is, this is a powerful blessing at the end. Grace be with you, which is a reminder that ultimately in order to live out this life for Jesus, we need Jesus. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the grace of God the Father. So that's foundational, right? But, but one of the outlets of his grace is, is meant to come from other believers within the local body of Christ. As we gather together, we experience God's grace through one another. Bible scholar James K.A. Smith writes it like this. He says, It is not only sin that makes us dependent upon others. Our very finitude as creatures impels us to relationality because we need the gifts, talents, and resources of others. We need the gifts, talents, and resources of others. And such dependence is part of the very fiber of God's good creation. Worship is a space of welcome because we are, at root, relational creatures called into relationship with the Creator in order to flourish as a people who bear His image to and for the world. One of the most incredible blessings of being a child of God is recognizing that he created us and redeemed us through Jesus Christ to be in relationship with him and with one another. To be in relationship with him and with one another. This is a reflection of the two greatest commandments, right? Love God with all we are and love others as ourselves. It's how humanity was created to thrive in the Garden of Eden before sin. And Jesus has, has redeemed this possibility for us at the cross and his death and resurrection so that we can now live it out as the body of Christ. And again, it's, it, it's not a one-man show. It can't be. It takes a village. We all play a role. And as Payson Aiken again write, we live in a culture where celebrity status is acclaimed and famous people are elevated. But in Christ and in the local church, we should affirm that every believer is significant in God's kingdom and plays an important role within his plan. Well, what does that look like? Well, drawing from our passage this morning, we can see many ways that this plays out. I have five points. I'm going to just breeze right through them because through this sermon series, we've focused on every single one of these points, basically. So this is just going to be a summary, a kind of a reminder of what it looks like to be the church, to function as the church, as the body of Christ. So first, as members of the body of Christ, we're to encourage one another 
in the faith. So just as Paul sent out a few of his ministry co-workers to encourage the Colossians' hearts, uh, we should always be ready and looking for opportunities to affirm or build each other up in the faith as well. First Thessalonians 5.11 agrees when it says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just, in, just as in fact you are doing. So Paul also exemplifies this when he encourages Archippus to pursue his ministry calling. Right? This is a reminder for us that, that, that whether we're discipling our children as, as parents or, or whether we're discipling each other as, as friends or, or as kids get or youth leaders or, or whatever, we should seek to, to draw out and encourage others to find and pursue their spiritual gifts and God-ordained callings in their life and in that season of their life, empowering each other to serve Christ. Christ. Secondly, so first we should be encouraging each other. Secondly, as members of the body of Christ, we should be eager and ready to comfort one another. So Paul highlights how, how significant it was that he had a group of, of godly men around him to comfort him while he was in prison for the gospel. It's such an important reminder of the fact that we, we all go through seasons of struggle or, or persecution or sorrow in our lives where we need to depend on or lean on the comfort of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And to that end, we also need to be honest and open about where we're at so that others can support you. We, we can't read minds. We need you to tell us that you're not doing okay so that we can, we can jump in there and comfort you. On the other side of the coin, though, we also go through seasons of strength, right? Where we've been strategically placed by God to be a comfort for others. So we need to be willing to do that and, and to sit with others and, and bear each other's burdens and all those wonderful Christ-like things. This is, again, this is one of the most powerful ways that we can exemplify Christ within the church. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So we need to be willing to encourage one another and to comfort one another. Thirdly, as members of the body of Christ, we should be ready to support and pray for one another. This means tangibly and spiritually standing in the gap as, as support systems and intercessors for each other. James 2, 15 to 16 says, if, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? And so in other words, we're called to congruently support one another through tangible ways, like through finances or providing clothes or emotional support, and also through prayer. Those two things are important together. Simultaneously. Though Paul's description of Epiphras' prayer for the church in Colossae is, is also powerful here as well. He says that he's always struggling on their behalf and working hard for them in his prayers so that they may be mature and fully assured in the will of God. In other words, his, his prayers for them weren't some sort of quick, like offhand comment to God about them. Like, he's not, like, busy doing his own thing, and then he's like, oh, yeah, God, bless the church in Colossae, and then back to his own thing. No, his prayers for them were, were a labor of love, 
a labor of love. And, and we need people within the church to be praying for us like that. I need people to pray for me like that. And, and we all need to be willing to pray for and support one another with that kind of love and fervor. Struggling in prayer, working hard in prayer. For one another, we should be, able, be willing to support one another t- tangibly and spiritually. And fourthly, as members of the body of Christ, we should be willing to collaborate with other ministries. So as I said earlier, it's, a, it's important to recognize that while our community at the Gate Church is great and that we're, we're a growing family and, and we're a local expression of the body of Christ, but at the same time, we're not the be-all, end-all. We're not the be-all, end-all. We're part of a larger community of believers and multiple congregations that all seek to glorify God and praise the name of Jesus in in their their own ways and in their own spaces. So it's important that we're willing and ready to support, network, and work alongside other Christian churches and ministries as well, local and internationally. And we're actually doing that this week as we're gathering together with the Gospel Fire Church for a time of prayer on Friday evening, which is going to be wonderful. We're going to be able to see how another culture worships the Lord and intercedes in prayer. And we can learn from them. We can also support one another as churches. Paul even instructs the believers in Colossae to do this as as he first commends the Laodicean church and specifically Nympha who hosted the church in her house And then he directs the Colossians to read them his letter. Then he also tells them to read the letter he sent to Laodicea, which unfortunately seems lost to time, but some scholars think it may be the same letter as the letter to the Ephesians, but we don't know. Either way, the point here is that individual church congregations should be willing to work together with other congregations for the good of the kingdom as a whole. Fifthly, and finally, we should be ready to serve Jesus through serving with and for one another. Throughout his closing remarks, Paul describes the people he mentions using language like fellow workers for the kingdom of God, or as servants of the Lord, or as faithful ministers or those he has sent. He doesn't actually say messengers, but that's the the idea that he's conveying. So we see workers, servants, ministers, messengers. It's this kind of language that reminds us that being a Christian is a lot more than waking up in the morning and reading our Bible for 10 minutes as we sip on coffee and watch the sunrise. It's about getting into the business of advancing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's about serving others with love, grace, kindness, and compassion, that, that, the same that Jesus has poured out on us. It's about laying down our lives and picking up our crosses, humbly putting others before ourselves, giving our lives and worship to God so that he can mightily work his will in and through us, causing other believers and the church as a whole to bear good fruit and to continue to grow up into maturity as the body of Christ, to become like Christ. Being a Christian is is dynamic. 
It's a dynamic life. But once again, we need one another to do it. It takes a village. As N.T. Wright notes, and we'll let him have the final word in our sermon series as we close this morning. He writes, As we look back over what Paul has written to the Christians in Colossae, we get a glimpse of the young church in its daily life, worshiping, encouraging one another, learning more fully of the plan of God for the world's salvation and of their place in that plan, finding out how to fulfill as individuals and as a community the ministries they have received in the Lord, and above all, discovering how to be truly grateful to God and so to advance to maturity as Christians and human beings.